I've heard it said that we all live in a story. And, and I've also heard it said, in fact, that humans are the only creatures that actually have a need to live in a story with meaning. We crave it as much as we crave food and other things like companionship. So today I want to help us think about Jesus' story and ask ourselves, what story are we living in? So I want to help us look, uh, do that by looking at three stories. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit of story of myself back in the university days. Then we're going to look at a story from a woman called Mary in the Bible. And finally, I'm going to help us ask uh, about our own story and all of these, how they relate to Jesus' big story, God's big story that we celebrate here on Easter Sunday. So let's go back a few years, uh, just a few years, when I was 18. And I was in uh, first year university in Saskatoon. Uh, I was at a point in my story where I knew a lot about Jesus, but I, looking back, I wasn't really living in Jesus' story. I'd grown up in the church with loving parents who helped me know Jesus. I'd had several moments along the way through childhood and youth, and I even uh, joined my friends in baptism at age 15. So I had significant encounters with uh, words about Jesus, and I really meant it. I, I had my own Christian developmental experiences. However, by the time age 18 rolled around, I'd been living in a way that I was trying to straddle two different stories. Uh, as is typical, it was typical of me, grade 11 and 12, I, I, I experimented with a lot of typical things that teenagers do, going to parties, uh, having girlfriends. Uh, we wouldn't be surprised. But I was living uh, a different story. And I had a way of showing up at church on Sunday because I knew how to represent that story. And so I was a guy living in two stories. I was living a double life. Then one night, uh, I had an unexpected dream. It's relatively common for me to dream, and I'm fairly, fairly visual, but this one felt different. So in this particular dream, I, I, I suddenly just, I'm aware, I was, I was in a large room about this size, and it was filled with people, and they were all sort of bustling around. It was almost like an immigration office. People had papers, and so I, I had papers in my hand, and I just knew that these papers represented my life. And, um, and then suddenly... In the, in the back of the room, a, a figure walked in, someone with authority, and this person started going from person to person, and I could tell that he was having an, a personal one-on-one -on -one with each person and going through their papers, and so I was like, wow, I just became aware, these, are my, this, these papers represent my life, and I think this person is Jesus. It just had that gravity to it that really... Um, impressed something upon me. So finally, this, this presence, who I believe was Jesus, came and stood in front of me, and I just remember looking down and handing my papers, after which he, he went through. And just as you might, if, if everything about you was exposed in a, in a pack of papers to someone with authority, I felt humbled. Suddenly the papers, I couldn't look up, the papers were handed back to me, and, and he said these words, get your papers in order. I woke up, and I, I at once felt sort of humbled and, and seen um, and, and caught. I felt caught. And yet, I also felt truly seen, as, as I really was. Uh, I knew that there's things I didn't want to admit, but when someone sees you for who you really are and just sees it all laid bare, I felt different. I, I felt... Uh, 
humbled. And, and this, the fact that I would see what I thought was Jesus alive and well, it also surprised me that he would meet me in such a way. That day I discovered that Jesus sees me. I realized that I couldn't hide anymore, but I had this deep feeling I didn't want to hide anymore. When I woke up that day, I, I felt different. I wanted to come clean. I was at a crossroads. So today, as we remember the Easter story in the events of Jesus Christ, we remember that he, he not only lived a real life, which he did. Historians tell us he lived a real life. He did all those amazing, miraculous things. And yet, the, this story, as we do, we talk about it all around the world. It's a story of encounter. So in my, in my story, I experienced Jesus through a dream, but I believe many of you and, and many others have experienced the risen Jesus in other ways. And the, these ways we experienced this risen Jesus from all those years ago, it changes lives as people sense and feel peace. So a story I want us to help a look at, it's in John chapter 20. We're going to be looking at the story of a woman called Mary. So I've actually invited a couple people to help me read it. So I'm going to invite Anthony and Janice. And just listen to these words of this real encounter that these first century people recorded as their eyewitness testimony. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the, other, and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Peter, Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciple went back to where they were staying. Now Mary Magdalene stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one, on the head, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, do not hold on to me, Mary, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am sending to my Father, 
and to their father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to, the, went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Thank you. So as I had said, what's written here and recorded in John is a, a first-hand account of the events seen and heard and touched by those first followers. They'd all known Jesus in his life, and then strangely and unanimously, they all report seeing, touching, and hearing him after he'd come back to life. These gospel accounts are written in a way that we're meant to believe they really happened. As the author of John who wrote this writes in chapter 20, he says, but these are written so that you may believe. They're written in a way that actually are full of sensory details. It's what they heard, what they saw, what they touched. And um, they actually are written in a way that we would read them today and have our own encounter with the risen Jesus. So first in the scene, we, we hear about Mary. And what you need to know is um, in Luke chapter 8, Mary Magdalene is mentioned as one of the women who travel around with other women and, and the crowd, and they support Jesus out of her resources. So Mary is perhaps a wealthy woman or comes from a wealthy background. However, Luke and Mark also record that Mary is a woman who'd had seven demons in her, and they were driven out by Jesus. So we don't know the details of her previous life, but what we can surmise is that she had had a dark life, as someone bound and trapped, and she'd probably been in a very dark place. So Mary is likely someone who's very grateful that Jesus had given her this fresh start, a fresh lease on life. All the four Gospels mention Mary and this group of women who were the first to witness the, both the crucifixion, but then first to, met, uh, to witness meeting him alive. So what you need to know is in that time, women unfortunately weren't considered reliable witnesses. So it's so interesting and so dignifying that the gospel writers would include women as the first witnesses of this risen Jesus. And historians actually say that this is one of the evidences, the clues that verify that what is written is true. Because if that early church had been trying to write a believable myth about a Jesus who rised, they wouldn't write it this way. They wouldn't include women as the first witnesses. So there's Mary Magdalene uh, at the tomb on this Sunday morning, perhaps hoping to, to honor Jesus, this man who had shown her dignity and restored her to life and included her in his ministry for three years. Jesus was a man that she dared to hope was her Messiah, the one that would finally end the Jewish struggle against the Roman occupiers. But perhaps on this day, Mary thought, you know, she'll, she'll lay some flowers, she'll cry her tears. But Mary was unprepared for what she found. When she first arrived, she would have been, been shocked and, and probably horrified to see an open grave. I mean, she'd just been there a couple days before. She'd seen the body laid. She'd seen the tomb rolled shut. Insult had been added to injury. The one she loved was missing. So then John records that, that the, the disciples run there to confirm what Mary had told them. And so they find, like she said, an empty tomb. Then it begins to recount the details that they found, the, the, the strips of body, uh, sort of um, linen that had wrapped his body. Maybe they'd witnessed the body being wrapped, a piece of cloth that had gone around Jesus' head. And again, these are odd details to record in this way, 
unless they're recording eyewitness testimony. So those disciples, I imagine them going back to where they had stayed defeated and depressed, depleted. I mean, they'd given three years to this Jesus. They'd, they'd sort of given up careers. They'd left their father's business. They'd scrapped everything to put all their hopes in Jesus as a Messiah, the Messiah. They had thrown their story in with Jesus' story. So in their minds that day, the Jesus story was done, cut off. But that's only what they thought. So then the scene shifts back to Mary. And Mary starts having this conversation with a, a random man she thinks is the gardener. All she wants to know is, is where has the body been carried? We can carry Jesus back. We can restore dignity and honor. Except, surprisingly, this man who she thinks is a gardener says her name, Mary. I don't know about you, but you know the way that someone who really loves you says your name. We notice. Or we're on a trip, we're on a trip maybe far from home, and, and someone says our name, and you turn around, and you're just really surprised, because you know who they are, and they know who you are. Hearing your name sounds differently from someone that really knows you. And that's how I imagine Jesus revealing himself to Mary. Mary. He says her name like he probably said hundreds of times as they sat around the campfires at night, talking about God's will and, and what was to come. And this got Mary's attention. So core to this story of the risen Jesus is he's the one that knows us best. He knows how to get our attention. He knows our name. So in our lives, uh, no matter who you are, no matter if you've wandered from Jesus, or no matter if you've never known Jesus, the truth, one truth here is that this God knows your name. He knows how to call your name in a way that gets your attention. So today or even this week, you might even want to go back through your mind and think about some events of your life and, and wonder, Jesus, was that you? Was that you trying to get my attention when this happened or when that happened? So in Mary's story, if her life had been upside down before knowing Jesus, it was upside down again on this day in the garden. She's the kind of person, as I had said, who, who is probably written off, written off as someone hopeless, unable to come back to God because of the darkness she was struggling with. And yet she'd been called back from darkness, and here he, uh, she is, and Jesus again is calling her name, Mary. But her testimony, if it was the only one, but it wasn't. Her testimony is one of hundreds then that start to happen. In a period of 40 days after these events, um, we see a painting here. The disciples themselves saw Jesus. In this instance, uh, this is the story of Thomas. They see him in a locked room. They're, they're up there hiding from authorities, and Jesus is suddenly among them. He eats with them. He says, give me some fish. He eats. They touch him. They touch the scars. And they verify that this Jesus they knew is back to life. And then after this, we read in 1 Corinthians that a crowd of 500 people see Jesus all at the same time. And then the stories just go on and on through history, all through different cultures, all different people. People have reported seeing and experiencing this Jesus risen and alive. And in fact, 10 of those 12 disciples, if uh, what happens in, in church history we record is that they all died as martyrs. They all died 
unwilling to compromise and, and um, counteract the story. And so, I don't know about you, but you wouldn't likely die for a lie. And, and that's what historians tell us. Like, their lives were so changed. The movement they started was so different. They wouldn't die for a lie. So here we are today, Vancouver 2020, trying to make sense of this old story. But if it's true, it changes everything. So I want to invite us to ask ourselves, what story are we living in? And does the story you're living in have room for Jesus in his story? So if Jesus showed up unannounced today and called your name, maybe for the first time or in a fresh, deeper way, how would you respond? Could Jesus alive reframe all that you're going through, all the troubles, all the struggles? And Jesus anticipated this. In chapter 14, it's recorded just before he left. He was preparing his people, and this is what he said to them. He talked about, I'm going away, but I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. So tied to, to Jesus' promise is that his coming back to life we would also come back to life. And it doesn't just mean someday that we'll, we'll rise again in, in renewed bodies and live forever, which the Bible says is true, which is amazing. But it also says right here, right now, there's ways that you will come back to life. You will live a new kind of fresh resurrected experience. So again, this is just a wild claim, but one that Christians have been making all through the centuries. So I don't know about you, uh, this is what describes my life in a way. I can sort of do things in my life and, and just keep redoing them and keep hitting the same walls, but sort of choosing the same old situations. So for example, if I've, if I've had a bad day, I come home discouraged with hurt feelings, my frequent default is often escapism. So maybe I'll binge a TV show. Anyone binging a good show right now? I've got some suggestions, but I won't tell you. Anyone else like me, some doom scrolling on Instagram? Maybe some sweet foods, maybe even a beer or, or two. So on, in moderation, none of these things themselves are bad. But in reaction to a bad day, this kind of escapism, at least for me, keeps my feelings bottled up and, and the stuckness I'm in firmly in place. So instead of this escapism, the risen Jesus and his ways, I, I'm trying to practice new things. So, for example, uh, I come home feeling like that. I'm, I'm trying to actually feel my feelings and acknowledge them and, and then maybe even pray about them and just really let it out. Or I'll take the risk to, to talk to someone, like my, my wife, Clianza, talk about it, share how I'm doing, and perhaps even talk to the person who did hurt me and sort of let it out. And these are some of the techniques I think Jesus gives us to really live alive. Jesus describes it this way when he talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He says that we would experience something like a river of life flowing out of us. And he says it like this, But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus promises us, us a new life fueled by his Holy Spirit that he describes as living water. He doesn't describe a perfect life or promise a perfect life. I, I don't know about you. I'm far from perfect. I'm guessing a few of you are far from perfect. 
But Jesus promises us a life where we can still flourish, even in the midst of the difficulties we're facing. So that's where the Bible story ends. That's where my telling my story ends, and I want to turn it out to your story and ask, what do you deeply want to be true of your life today? What things might feel dead, buried, and need raising to life? Maybe, maybe it's a relationship with a friend. Maybe, maybe it's a dating relationship. Maybe it's a marriage relationship. Maybe it's the always difficult task of being parents. Maybe it's a nagging career question, wondering about your purpose, your calling. So the events of Easter Sunday invite you to ask, how could this risen Jesus reorient me? If it's true, him coming to life and, and inviting me to life, how could that make my dead uh, experiences come to life? So in Scripture and in the church and even here at 10th Church, the invitation is always active. It's come and see. Come and seek Jesus with us. Come and see if he's really alive. Just He's ready to, to call our name, just like he did for Mary. He's ready to address all our fears, all our uncertainties, all our anxieties, not because he waves a magic wand and makes it all go away. Isn't that what we'd all want, right? Just, just make the struggle go away. But instead, he's Emmanuel. He's the God who says, I will be with you. I will be in you. I'll be among the community, this church community. And you will not be left as an orphan. Because I live, you will also live. It's been my experience. So again, I, I did begin by telling you a bit of my story from when I was 18. I talked about waking up after feeling like I'd encountered the risen Jesus. And so when I did wake up, I felt this new motivation. It, it felt like a, a driving force to seek something different. But I didn't quite know what to do with it. So if you've ever experienced that, but you don't yet know what to do, that's normal. So I even, I, I, that summer, going into second year, I tried going back to the same parties. I, I tried doing some of the same stuff, but it just didn't feel the same. Sort of like just ashes in me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but that fall, as I entered second year, as happens in all the campuses, and our campus workers know this, you set up these club tables, and you try and sort of welcome students to, to new things, to fun things. So there I was, you know, in a crowded room, lining up with students, and I saw the ski club table. I love skiing. So I go up, I'm signing up, I'm hearing the music pumping, and, and seeing their first events, realizing, actually, it's just the party club with a bit of skis. So I was like, well, maybe, maybe I'll try, and I'll, maybe I'll do it differently. But then out of, out of the crowd, this, this other guy puts a hand out, and his name was Chris. And I looked to the, the banner beside him, and it said, the, the Navigators Christian Club. And I thought, oh, shoot, a Christian club. Again, I felt a little bit caught. So I, I gave Chris my name, and I put it down, and, and it was actually Chris that called me back. I, I never heard from the ski club. But Chris called me back, and he invited me to take chances to meet with them. And, and they met in a place I knew well, the campus pub, except... They were studying the Bible, studying the Bible in the campus pub. I found th these words of Jesus just started to leap off the page. It was different than when I had read them before growing up. And you may have had that experience as the words leaping off the page and the risenness of Jesus just feeling true. Jesus had begun changing me from the inside out. 
It's like the, I had an inner compass of my life that was pointing, sort of confused and trying to point in all sorts of ways. But after meeting Jesus, my compass was pointing in his direction. And these words of Jesus, these experiences started to be like refreshing springs of water, changing and reorienting the story I was living in. Because you see, I think the stories of the culture around us, all that they offer, all the escapism, even the great things, don't address the source of our problems. They don't help us live in God's divine story, the story of really coming alive from things that cause us death, from really living. So if you take the risk to seek Jesus in this way, try to come and see, read Scripture, join in with the Christian church, and serve even with Jesus, you're going to find that he'll start to change you a little bit by little bit, inwardly and then outwardly. You're going to start participating in God's renovation of society all around you. That's what we try to do at the church, with the church, in our community. It's a wonderful but a difficult but satisfying way to live. Because friends, Jesus is with us. He is alive and he's powerful to this very day. So those experiences, that life, that is what I wish for you this Easter Sunday going forward, not just today, but into the weeks, to the months, to the years ahead. So I'm going to end like Ryan started us off with this traditional Easter greeting. And I'm going to say, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Hallelujah.